0: Well, good morning again. Wow, I, I feel like some of you are feeling the same excitement I am. It was a good Sunday morning so far, and I am excited to be here with you. Uh, be praying for uh, Pastor Nathan. He is on vacation, and he and Rachel are, are out of town right now, so be praying for him. That's why we've been doing the gymnastics that when we've been doing up here. But it is a good day all the same, and we are so excited to be celebrating what God is doing in our midst in and through us here at First Baptist Church and uh, we are grateful to be able to celebrate him today. this morning we're going to be looking at Romans chapter five, one of my favorite passages in the Bible and I feel like I say that a lot but that's okay because I'm allowed to have lots of favorites it's the Bible right there's no limit on how many favorite Bible passages I think you're supposed to have but I, I love the thing I love about this passage um, so so much is is how it so clearly lays out for us the reality of what God has done for us. The, the, the truth of, of how far God is, has been willing to go and continues to come to pursue us in, in our lives. And this, this passage above most others, Paul pulls no punches. Again, we're going to see here that he, he tells us, and he's been leading up to this starting in Romans 1, right? He calls sin, sin. That this is sin and no one has an excuse, that creation itself gives enough revelation to convince us that a God exists and to drive us to seek him. And even if we don't have the law, we should still understand God. But once we do have the word of God, there's an extra set of expectation and responsibility. And all of that Paul is using to lead up to the fact and to, to demonstrate the fact over and over and over and over and over and over again that we cannot do it on our own. There is no fixing what we've broken. There's no way of providing for our own salvation and and, and our own justification on our own. Now that word is going to be of incredible importance to us this morning. The word justification. Everybody say that word with me. Justification. Now, I, I, I say that word, and I want you to pay attention. I don't know if any of you watched the show when you were younger. I know it, it, it engenders different types of opinions, but when I was a kid, there was a show that used to be on on Saturday morning called Pee Wee's Playhouse. Now, it was an annoying show, as annoying as all get out, but I used to watch it because there was one part of the show other than his fly red bow tie that I really liked. I loved the word of the day. And at the beginning of the show, they would pick the word of the day. And whatever the word of the day was, if you said that word, the entire house, and they had a talking chair and a talking blender and a talking, everything talked in the house. And as soon as he would say whatever that word is, like the word would be pew, they would say, hey, sitting in your pew today, and everybody would go, ah! Right? And I couldn't help but thinking about that as I was reading the text for this morning. Because if I were to give Romans chapter 5 a word of the day, and it has one, without question, that word would be justification. Oh, that was, I didn't even tell you. That is so amazing. I love you. You are my people. That was great. So that is the word of the day, and actually, it's even better in Greek, because as we read the text, you're going to note that that you only see the word justification a few times, but it's actually there several times in the Greek. So I'm going to read through it in the English, and then I'm going to tell you where all of the instances of that word are. All right. So, starting in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance? Character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will a person die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if the trespass of the one man death, if by the trespass of the one man death reigned, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the, disobed- through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought so in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amazing passage of scripture. And, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll put to the side our, our word of the day action. But I do want to point out how, how appropriate I felt that was. I don't know if you noticed, but every time we said the word justification, which is the God making us right with himself through Jesus, is there anything more worthy to cheer about? Maybe that's how we should always read that passage. That every time we say the word justification, that God has made us right when we were made wrong, that that is something worthy of us cheering about, of us going, "Woo!" it was appropriate. I thought it was going to be silly, but I was wrong. It was ideal because God has made us right. One pastor said, it's just as if I never sinned. Now, where does this word show up? Now, the word that's used in the Greek, the, the root word is dikio. Dekaio. That, that word is very important. It appears no less than eight times in one form or another in this passage. Eight times. And we didn't cheer for it eight times, so where does it appear? Where it appears in verse one, right away. First word, actually, in the Greek text is justified having been. Through our justification, justification is the first word in chapter five. Paul comes right out with it. And he's starting this new phrase, this new, in the Greek, remember, the, the wording, the, the numbers weren't there, but Paul is creating a new phrase here with this starting of this justification. Verse one, first word. Verse seven. It says that, that someone would die for a righteous person. That word for righteous is, is dekayu. It is a just man. A justified person. Verse 9, it appears again, having been justified. Verse 16, justification. Verse 17, it says righteousness. And pretty much anywhere you read righteousness, you can translate into your mind as justness. Verse 18, a just or righteous act. Verse 19, a just or righteous person. And verse 21, the justness or righteousness that brings eternal life. Paul's not playing. In the English, we get a bunch of different words. A good man, a just man, a righteous man, etc., etc., etc. Righteousness, goodness. In the Greek, it, the, when you look at it, it jumps out at you. The, the words are... I'm not even going to read them. But Dikayo appears throughout the entirety of the passage over and over and over again. The Title of this service, the sermon this morning is justification for all. You know, America, we want justice for all, and that's great. But justification is even better because in justice, everybody gets what they deserve. In justification, we get what God has given us by his grace. We don't get what we deserve. We get God's love. We get God's grace. So let's look at what what Paul has to say about our justification in Romans chapter 5. First thing that we see is that justification opens up avenues for the blessings of citizenship in God's kingdom. And to make that even further, justification opens up avenues for the blessings of our salvation to be made manifest in our lives. For us to experience the blessings of God's amazing grace in and through our lives. And Paul, Paul lays out in these first few verses what some of these benefits are. What are the benefits that, that Christ's justifications, that, that Christ making us right with God? What are the benefits that God has purchased through Christ's sacrifice? Well, first of all, justification purchased peace with God. Justification purchased peace with God. By declaring us righteous through faith in the work and person of Jesus Christ, our relationship with God is restored. Now we've got to understand what's going on with the word peace here, right? Because there's there's a lot of of different ideas of peace. And I think one of the problems that we have in in Christianity today and in the Western world particularly is we live under this myth and this false idea that, that when we come to Christ and we received his salvation that everything is going to be rainbows and snowflakes. Everything's going to be great. That all of our problems are going to go away because it's going to bring us peace. Paul actually in another text tells us that we will have, if we ask God, the peace that passes is understanding and we think that what that means is that all of our problems are going to suddenly become better and i can't tell you how many times i've been talking to people who have newly accepted christ and within even a couple of weeks they come back to me and they say maybe i need to pray the prayer again maybe i need to be dunked in the baptismal waters again because it's not working like, people are still treating me bad. I still have problems in my family. I still have all these debts that God hasn't taken care of. God, like, God didn't come in and just magically, poof, all my problems are gone. Well, that's not, that's not what peace always means. As a matter of fact, if you look at the peace of God as it relates to Jesus and what Jesus promises us, Jesus doesn't promise us that he's going to give us peace in the sense that everything's going to go right and get better. He promises us peace through his presence with us in the midst of the mess. I mean, probably, I was thinking about this when we did the baptism. Perhaps that's, that's the most ideal thing that could have happened this morning, is that wave going on to Aaron. Because our faith and our justification is messy. It doesn't always go the way that we planned. But in the mess there is beauty because we have, while there may be mess down here on this earth, we have peace with God that our relationship has made right. We have harmony with God. The peace that it's talking about here is, is a military thing. It is a cessation of hostilities. That the wrath of God that Paul has talked about over and over again in preceding passages has been placated. You know, Paul talked earlier, right, that we we are building up For us ourselves storing up for ourselves the wrath of God and we talked about that it wasn't about a present reality but potential for the future that if we keep living in sin that there is a sense that there is an account that is being held that we will pay for that punishment does await those of us that do not turn to Christ in faith but the the beauty of justification the beauty of Christ making us right through his shed blood is that account is expunged that record is cleared and we are good with God now, we may still have to deal with the difficulties of our realities down here, but we're good with God. We can be confident that we are right in our relationship with our maker, and that does in turn provide us a sense of security and peace in our hearts and minds, but it doesn't remove our problems. I want to put a pin in that because Paul's going to come back to that in a minute. Justification takes us out of the crosshairs of God's wrath and of our well-earned punishment. Jesus mediates our peace with God. Jesus intervenes, as as it says elsewhere in scriptures, and stands as our advocate between us and God. And God sees us as just because by faith, when he looks at us, he sees us through the blood red filter of his sinless son and his sacrifice. God doesn't see us in our sin, but he sees us in Christ, in faith in what Christ has done for us justification purchased peace with God. Second, justification provided grace to support us. Paul says that it's, it's in this grace by faith and into this grace in which we now stand. Because, of our, because our relationship is made right, because we now do have this harmonious relationship with God and, and we don't, we're not at odds with God anymore, we are welcomed into God's presence and we can stand before him without fear. We can come to him with our prayer requests. You, you don't need to go to someone who, who is holier than you. You don't have to go to someone who is better trained than you. You don't have to go to someone who is further along in their spiritual journey and has gotten more right than you. Uh, spoiler alert, none of us really have. You, you can go to God on your own. You can go to your own knees and call out to God wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whatever you've done. And the Bible tells us that if we call out to God in faith that he will hear us. That, that, as the passage will tell us, the scriptures will tell us later as we look in Romans, that, that nothing separates us from the love of God any longer. If we turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, Paul fur- goes further into this. He says, for through him, Christ, we have, both have access to the Father by one spirit. We, we have access to God we go back, it says he came and preached peace to you who were far away. This is Jesus. He preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Christ came bringing peace. We talked about that, right? Right relationship. And when we accept that right relationship, it allows us into the presence of God without fear of retribution. We stand in the amazing grace, the unrelenting grace of Jesus Christ. We can approach the throne and, and this, this passage is meant to give the picture. Paul is, is giving the picture of, of, of someone being ushered into the courtroom, into the throne room, if you will, of a ruler. And the picture is, is that when we accept the grace of God by faith, that Jesus ushers us into the presence of the Father, advocating for us and introducing us to God as, hey, this is my child. this, this Maddie, this, this one that was just baptized this morning, this, she came to me. She accepted my, my, my gift of grace by faith. She, she's one of yours. She belongs here. This is Sean. This is Jennifer. They've accepted you, and they've accepted my grace, and, and they're, they're my brother and sister. They, they are part of our family. They are citizens in our kingdom. We're, we're blood-bought, and we belong in the family of God, and we have strength to stand. And right now, this is just in the form of hope, right? It's something that we hope for. We trust that it's reality, and we live into it. But it will become our ultimate reality when this life ends and the next begins. We will experience and enjoy and be immersed in the presence and glory of God in ways that we can't even imagine. And Paul says that it is this hope we boast in. We boast in this hope of the glory of God. It's it's not not our glory, it's not how good we are. We boast in the glory of God and and the great grace and, and the glory of God in our lives is contingent upon us recognizing how unglorious we have been. That is the glory of God, that God, the great and mighty creator of this world, still chose us, still came to die for us on the cross, still calls us to himself because of his grace. What a glorious and gracious God we serve. Justification provides grace to support us, strength to stand. But justification goes a step further. It gives purpose to our problems. Remember we talked about peace, and I said we're going to come back to that? Justification gives peace to our problems. Paul says in verses 3 to 5, not only this, but we glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is is one of the glorious pieces of the gospel that we've got to remember in salvation. This suffering won't stop. Christ says in this world, you will have trouble, but I give you my peace. Suffering doesn't have to tear us down through the power and presence of God. Suffering and struggles don't need to leave us empty and worn out and beaten down and defeated. God redeems even our pain through his power in our lives. Even our pain has purpose. Even our problems do positive work in us. You see, we need to understand that God's work of justification is a continuous work. We, we like to think of salvation being this punctiliar event. And what I mean by that is if you think about uh, the timeline of our lives, right, we think of it as being a period on that line. That right here, I accept, I came to the front, I kneeled, I prayed, I accepted Jesus Christ, and so I was saved. I was justified in that moment, justification, woo, I'm saved. And that's True. But the Bible tells us that our justification began long before we were born. As a matter of fact, if we read scripture and we take it as it it stands, it says that our justification, our salvation, our redemption began before the foundations of the world. That God had a plan for your redemption before he created anything that we have ever seen. That God has been working in you and bringing you to a point of decision throughout your entire life. That your justification has been a process, right, that has led you up. And at that point, you make that decision. But you know, at that point, the justification process doesn't stop. God continues to work out and in and, in and through you his salvation and his plan. Right? Paul says that I, I, I work out my, my salvation with fear and trembling. That isn't Paul saying, ooh, God might, might all of a sudden decide he's going to swap me. That's not it. Paul says, I just want to make sure that I live in this truth that God has brought to me. I want to be faithful to this God that is so faithful to me. And his fear and trembling isn't that God is going to fail him. You know what his fear and trembling is? That he's going to fail God. That's legitimate. And we have to consistently keep our eyes on Christ so that we follow him and live in the hope that we proclaim. Paul says that suffering produces perseverance. The word used here means to hold up under. Interesting side note. It's tattooed right here. On my arm. means to hold up under, to to live under the weight of life. It says that suffering produces perseverance. Living, Living in the difficulty and the stress teaches us how to live in the difficulty and stress of life. To hold up under the difficulties of life. Our struggles provide us with opportunities to practice what we preach. To live out the life that Jesus died to purchase us in the midst of whatever comes our way. You notice I, I talked to those we baptized this morning and I said, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Then there's a second question. Do you promise to do all you can to live your life with it, for him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yes. You see, the, the importance of, of our baptism and our signs isn't just what happens when we go under the water but the life and when we come out of it but the life that we live when we step out of the tub. It's the life that we live after that process that matters most. Who will you be in faith? Will you continue to persevere and allow those difficulties in your life now to build care? Not to beat us and, and drive us down, but to build us up, to make us more through the power and presence of Christ in us. I will tell you, I would not be the person I am today without the difficulties and the hurts and the hardships and the heartaches of my life. Rarely is there a time that I will talk about my past and my history and the salvific process that God has brought about in my life where people don't come up and say, oh, I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm not. Did I want to do it when I was going through it? Absolutely not. Would I have chosen it for myself? Absolutely not. But would I trade the difference that God has made in my life through those terrible situations? No, because God has made me in and through the fires of trial. And he's doing the same with each of us. He's producing character within us. The more we practice what we preach, the more it develops into recognizable features within us. We are transformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And character built within us produces hope. It is the hope that comes from experience the glory of God as it works through us. Because here's the truth. If God can do such amazing things in and through us, in the midst of the worst moments of our lives, imagine what awaits us in the full manifestation of his presence one day in his glory. It is unbelievably wonderful. May we rest in that hope. It's been said that pain is weakness leaving the body. And sure, maybe that's true in exercise. But perhaps in this context, in the context of this passage, we might say that pain is the opening of avenues for God's strength to enter our lives. And Paul says that in in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. Our justification, open avenues for the blessings of citizenship in God's kingdom to be demonstrated. But what we, we also need to realize is the manner in which our justification comes to us. Because the manner in which God secured our justification is the clearest demonstration of his love for humanity. The manner in which God secured our justification is the clearest demonstration of his love for humanity. Now I'm going to unpack that a whole lot. Because and it's really actually kind of simple. Because the amazing part of God's, the justification that God brings about our lives is that God justifies us while we are unjustifiable. God justifies us when there's no reason to do so. There's no merit for which God can build on. There's, there, there's nothing that, that, that would lead God to believe we're going to move in that direction. That we are completely and totally without hope lost on our own. Paul has hammered that down and now he's finally into justification. The good thing that God does in and through us in spite of how terrible we've been. In spite of how prone we are to failure and falling and wandering off, that God continues to do his work of justification. He continues to chase us down. Just like the song sang this morning as we we sang the truth of scripture, that we were the prodigal and God continues to, to wait for us to come home with open arms, but that we're also the sheep that wandered off and that God chases us to the mountaintops and finds us and brings us home, that God searches and waits and welcomes us home with open arms regardless of how deep our failures have been God justifies us when we're unjustifiable verse 6 it says this you see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the good enough right that's what it says that Christ, Christ died, and maybe not, I, I, maybe I read that wrong. That Christ died for the godly enough. Those that had, had gotten themselves just right enough. And he's like, okay, well, you're not quite there, but that's good enough coming. That's not what it says, is it? While we were powerless, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. The unrighteous. Paul then talks about two men right that there's a just man and a good man now what's the difference between these two things what's the difference between a righteous or just man and a good man well well a just man is one who does right and Jesus is the only just man and ain't nobody was jumping in line to die for him right as a matter of fact they killed him for being a just man this is a truism in life and if you've ever been the good kid you get this nobody likes a goody goody Right? There's, there's plenty of people who have been just that have not received their just reward. Nobody wants to die for that good person. As a matter of fact, we want to find a way. We, we work hard in our lives, don't we, to try to bring that person who's doing good down a level so that we can make, rather than trying to climb up and do better, we know there's no hope of that. So if I can just knock them down a few notches, then we're, we'll be on the level playing field here. Paul says, ain't, ain't nobody dying for a just man. A good man may or may not be just. Most likely it wasn't because it's talking about the benefactor system in Rome. Someone that, that would put money down to, to pay to help people to gain citizenship or, or come in, to, to buy houses, to come into Roman society on a more full level. And, and Paul says someone might die for a good person like that. A good person is one who does good for others. Someone who benefits you and, or society at large. Scholars would even take this a step further to say that, that what they're talking about here with someone dying for a good man is not the person at all, but the cause for which the person stands. Now we get that, right? That makes sense to us as Americans. It's, that's why we're so intent about standing for the national anthem. It's why, it's why we put our hands over our heart while we're saying the Pledge of Allegiance because we know for us the flag is about more than just a symbol. It's about the people that have given their lives so that we have the freedom that the flag represents, right? That's, that's what we talk about. And so there, there are many of us, and we talk about them here, that, or there are many that have given their lives for the greater good. For, for the cause, for the good of the cause. And, and Paul's saying there, there are some that, that would be willing to die. They would sacrifice themselves for maybe someone who is objectively doing more or benefiting society more. Or for a cause that benefits others. But here's the truth. Let's be honest. There may be some who are willing, but no one really wants to do it. Here we have Christ who was both righteous and good. He is the perfect son of God, but is there anyone who has done more for humanity throughout all of history? And he died for sinners. He didn't die for just people. He didn't die for good people. He died for dirty failures, for sinners like you and me. Not only that, but verse 10 takes it a step further as I noted earlier. That God didn't, Jesus didn't just die for us while we were sinners, but while we were active enemies of God, while we were actively rebelling against God. We didn't just accidentally violate God's standards for our lives. We chose those things. We continue to choose those things. Even as followers of Christ, as we know, we've talked about it. All the, the Bible does a lot of times is reveal to us how bad we really are at doing what God has asked of us. And a lot of times we continue to rebel. You know why we rebel? Because we like the things we're doing. Because we enjoy it. Don't let anyone tell you different. Sin is fun. If it wasn't, everybody wouldn't be doing it. But this is the one thing that we can say, literally, everybody's doing it. No one wants to die for a good man. No one wants to die for a just man, but Jesus died for sinners. Not just that, but if we look at the death of Christ, you know who Jesus literally died for? A man on death row. Any of y'all, any of y'all jumping at the chance to die for a, a, a serial killer? I'm not seeing any hands, right? I, I'm raising mine because I'm the pastor. This is just for the point. I am not, I listen, I, I'm not looking to die for most of you. i I'm honest. But we're not. But Jesus died, literally took the place of a man on death row who deserved it. We don't want to die for people on death row. You know why? Because we're like, they're getting what they deserved. As a matter of fact, we have to work hard not to celebrate that. Jesus, that man on death row, that woman on death row, Jesus died for them. Not just, and we can't say, well, that was just figurative. No, because Jesus actually literally died for a man on death row, a murderer on death row. If Jesus died for that person, who can we say that Christ didn't die for? Like, that, that is the definition of ungodly. That's how far the ungodliness goes. Jesus died for everyone to make justification available to all who would believe. Jesus died for ungodly sinners who were his enemies and made a way for those who had no chance on their own, and we are all included. Jesus is the only path to reconciliation, to right relationship with God. And again, I want to emphasize this because it's so important for us to know today. God didn't wait for us to get right to call us to himself. Hear me. A gospel that requires us or anyone else to get it right or to become worthy before coming to God is no gospel at all. I will say that again. A gospel, good news, that requires us or anyone else to get right or to become worthy before coming to God is no gospel at all. It is not the gospel. It is a lie from the pit of hell and should be rejected. In the book, Messy Spirituality, Mike Iaconelli says it this way. He says, we talk our way out of the Christian life by refusing to. To come to God as we are. Instead we decide to wait until we're ready to come to God as we aren't. We decide that the way we lived yesterday, last week or last year makes us quote unquote damaged goods. And until we start living right, we're not God material. And we do this to ourselves and to others. Well that, that's not the church type of person. I'm not a church type of Who is a church type of person? You may be a church. Actually, let's, let's back that up. There's plenty of church people that aren't God people. There's plenty of church people that aren't Jesus people. Coming and sitting in a seat doesn't define it. What, what defines our spirituality, what defines our position in Christ is us being in Christ. Us coming to Christ as we are, baggage and all, guilt and all, and saying, Christ, I come to you knowing that I have nothing to offer, but I receive from your hands everything you're willing to give. That's what makes the good news good. (laughs) Jesus literally paid it all. He did all of the heavy lifting. He made us compatible and restored friend relationship with God. And here's what Paul goes through in this last half of the passage. I'm going to truncate it a lot. What humanity broke, Jesus made right. This is the very definition of justification. We broke it. God bought it. And, we, and we've been breaking it from the very beginning. Genesis 3 tells us that Adam and Eve had but one, one instruction. They had to do one stinking thing. Don't eat that tree. And couldn't do it. And his choice to go his own way, Adam's choice to own his, go his own way, earned all of humanity a one-way ticket out of the Garden of Eden. It's a legacy that he and Eve passed on through all of their progeny, which is all of us. Our natural-born tendency is to walk away from God rather than with God as God intended. Now, we need to understand something. This passage is not saying that Adam's one sin earned all of humanity condemnation. Paul even says that because all sin. It's in fact a sickness that infects us all. It infects every human heart and is passed from parent to child. Sin entered through one man, but all sinned. You know, one of the things that you'll hear people say a lot, it's in a lot of songs and a lot of movies, well, I was born this way. This is just the way I was born. Well, here's, here's the truth. I have absolutely no problem with someone who is doing something that is contrary to the word of God saying, I was born this way. The fact of the matter is, if we were really to sit down and talk about it, there are sins that, I was, that are born into me that I'm just naturally prone to, that they, 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 they well up from inside of me. I, I almost cannot control it because it is such an integral part of who I am. And the fact is that we are all of us born this way. We are all born with, with the impact and the effects of sinfulness throughout every fiber of our being. It is passed from one generation to the next and we all blissfully live in it. We were, in fact, born this way. Psalm 51 tells us, born and conceived in sin, the psalmist says. We are all of us born broken and opt to continue in that brokenness. And this for us should result in humility as we think about ourselves and in compassionate understanding as we consider the lives of others. But it is not a valid excuse for us to continue in sin. As a result of Adam's failure and our sin, death has been prevailed, the prevailing power in the world from Adam on. And that death is experienced not only through physical loss of life, but separation from God for eternity. And short of divine intervention and personal repentance, there is no restoration possible. But that's the beauty of the gospel. The gift of God's grace in Christ is more than enough. For everyone who believes, Adam's sin created a pattern that all repeat. Many trespasses, as it says in the text, actually means all. But the effectiveness of many sins can't surpass the power of Christ's singular sacrifice. Verse 15, Paul says, If many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow? Too many. Verse 17. If death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Over and over again through this text, it is made clear that justification is available to all, but it is only applied to those who humbly receive it by faith. Justification is unlimited in scope, but not an application. The gift is there, but will we receive it by faith? We must believe to receive. Verse 18 is the most beautiful in this text, I think. It says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people, The creative restorative power of God in Christ is greater than the destructive power of Adam and the combined failure of all of humanity. This is the greatness of God's amazing grace. That our sins are but a drop in the bucket, but the blood of Christ is greater still. How much more is God's grace? What's amazing to me about this is that God does all of the work and gets all of the praise, but we get the prize. I couldn't stop thinking about this. Robin and I do this ride-run thing every once in a while. And we're, as we're running, uh, a, a thought came to my mind that, that, that salvation is kind of like we've all run in a race, right? And all of us, were are running in this race, and, and, and all of us fall and break ourselves, and so we DNF, we did not finish. We couldn't make it. We weren't weren't prepared, we weren't ready, and all of us were broken. But Jesus, the consummate best runner ever, comes and and blazes the trail and wins the race. And at the end of the race, we're standing at the the podium, and they call Jesus up. The winner of the race is Jesus Christ. And everybody's like, "Ah." And Jesus comes up, and they hand Jesus the the first place ribbon. And Jesus is like, oh, thanks for this. And and they're like, well, Jesus, this comes with a $10,000 prize. And Jesus is like, We'll give that to all of them. What? Oh, Jesus got the adulation. He got the praise. But the prize goes to those that didn't finish the race. that couldn't cut it. And you know what makes it worse or better, depending on how we look at it, is Jesus doesn't care about the prize. You know why? Because we're his prize. The bride of Christ. And brothers and sisters, we got a face that only a mother could love. We are ugly people. Our hearts are ugly. But Jesus, as sinners and, and enemies of God, but Jesus still offers to us freely the prize from his effort in his work. We are his prize. And he loves us with a grace that is above and beyond what we deserve or could earn. And it lasts forevermore. This is justification. We are made right. And God continues to make us right through his power and presence. And there's nothing that we could do to unearn his justification because there's nothing that we did to earn it. It's not about us being good enough. It's not about us doing more good works than bad works. It's not what it's about at all. It's about us relying not on our failed attempts, but on the gracious, compassionate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The end. And we are justified. We are made right. We are brought into harmonious relationship with Christ. And our pain and all of the problems of our past and our future have purpose because His grace gives us the strength to stand and to be more than we could ever imagine on our own because we are justified we are made right we are made new by the power in the presence of the crucified and risen son of god May we live in that truth. May we live out the justification and righteousness that Jesus died to implant and bestow upon us today and every day. And may we call the world to that same justification, offering them the same saving grace of God freely and as irresponsibly as God does to us. That all might come to know peace with God, salvation for eternity and the glory of his greatness in and through us. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I pray that you would continue to remind us of your great love for us, that you would continue to call us to restoration and repentance by your power and presence. In Jesus' name, amen.